Yes, you, you lucky sausage. You found the Talk Marketing Show, where the League of Marvelous Marketeers give up everything you need to be more successful in your business. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, My name is Martin Henley. This is the Effective Marketing YouTube channel. And if you've spent any time here at all, you will know that I am on a mission to give you everything you need to be successful in your business through this channel. So the only way that I know for you to be successful in your business is by being a better, more effective with your sales and marketing. So not only on this channel am I giving you everything I know about sales and marketing, I'm also dragging in anyone who could bear to speak to me to extract all of the information they're holding on sales and marketing also. So today's guest has been in sales since 1987. He might object to me telling you that that is 35 years. He has been <laughs> <laughs> he has been running his own businesses essentially for the whole of this century. He is one of only 200 people who continued to watch football and rugby matches in stadiums throughout the, the pandemic and throughout the lockdowns. And that is because he is also a professional sports photographer. He is currently director of Venture Consultants and managing director of what has been his core business since 2009. Today's guest is Simon West. Good morning, Simon. Good morning, Martin. How are you doing? Are you well? I'm very well, thank you. It's a, it's a beautiful day here in the UK, so I'm, uh, I'm very happy. Excellent. It looks, I can see you basking in the sunshine there. In fact, you've had to close the curtains. And yeah, so you're not worrying dry. too much about your heating bill today. No, no. Um, gas is a, a bad topic over here. It really is. Everybody's really interested to talk about how much their, their, their heating is costing them. Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the fact that no. you were one of only 200 people allowed into football and rugby stadiums during the lockdowns. Um, that is yeah. a unique experience that you couldn't have imagined would ever have happened. Very unusual. I mean, you know, putting aside all the jokes about small crowds in, uh, um, in, for, for different football teams and so on. Um, if you take the, the number of players, the coaches, the support staff um, and the you know the bt the uh, the sky um video teams um and you throw in 10 sports photographers that needed to be less than 200 people through the whole of lockdown uh so there were 10 of us allowed into uh, as sports photographers there were 10 of us allowed into each stadia uh and i was lucky enough to to be shooting two or three times a week um throughout that uh, a lot of football, uh, rugby when it came back. And yeah, it was it was just the most weird experience to have near zero noise in a, in a really large, you know, 60, 80,000 seater stadium. And it's just empty. I mean, they, they dressed it up nicely. They put big, um, big placards, big, uh, big signs across all of the 
all of the seats. They even had virtual crowds, so they'd actually take photos of the fans, put them on a um, put them on a head on a stick, and put them on the seats, and these sorts of things. And we got some great photos actually shooting through this virtual sea of fans and these sorts of things. Cool. But no, it, it was just silent, absolutely silent. And you you hear what the players are saying, you hear what the ref is saying to the players, and that's an interesting thing. Yes. Um, and the only, the only noise is the coaches shouting from the sideline. You know, it takes you back to an under-11s football match on a Sunday morning and take that and translate it into a sports stadium. And that's what it was like. Wow. And this is Premier League game. So this is top tier mm. football. Okay. This is Premier League. This is Premiership football. Sorry, Premiership rugby. Um, there was some championship being played as well, but all the other local leagues, all the other... Um, level one, level two, and other leagues were all just cancelled. So this was the only game in town. Okay. So how yeah. do you get to be a Premier League football photographer? Because I'm sure there are lots of people who would like to be that. Yeah. I mean, it's I, I'm I'm very fortunate. So if you ever look at a TV shot of the um, of the pitch, you'll see on next to the corner posts, there's four or five guys clustered there with a big long lens that's oh, a big long lens that looks something I don't know if you can see that like that. So, um, what is that? That's like 1200 mil. No, no, it's only a it's only a 400 mil. Oh my god, it's only a 400 mil, but it's a 400 mil 2.8, right? So, it's fast. So this thing, Sorry, we're going way off topic, but no. But I'm really interested in this. You know, I am. This, if you look down the front end of this thing, if I can get it down the camera, is utterly enormous. So you look at the front end of that. Yes, uh, that's what I'm shooting with there. Okay. So that is there's one of those, and then there is a there's another smaller camera that I use for the show shorter. For the close-up stuff. So how do you get to be a Premier League photographer? Well, number one, you actually need about a hell of a lot of kit. Right. 20,000, £30,000 worth of photo kit. And that either gets provided by an agency, if you're lucky, or you buy it and, and earn your way into it. So I earn my way into it, making money from selling photos. Okay. Um, so, so first, you've got to be good at taking photos. Then you've got to get an agency contract, and then that agency will get you into the um, the matches. Or you can do it on your own back, but that's a that's actually a harder route. Um, and is it is it where afterwards you all you have to get your photos out the fastest to get to secure the? I've seen that. Like so. Is it at the end or is it during the game you're actually um, firing these photos out? No, it's during the game. So there's two different approaches. Um, if you're shooting for one of the very large agencies, you know, a Getty, um, an AP, one of those, they'll often have what's called an off-site editor. Okay. So in that situation, your camera is either wirelessly or wired um, straight into the internet you you record a voice note against a photo so you talk into it and this is i know red 12 um tackled um blue five or whatever it happens to be or you put the names against it um you record that against the photo you hit one button and that sends it to the off-site editor 
And the offsite editor will then, they'll crop the photo, they'll adjust it as necessary and put it on the wire. So they'll put it on the internet so that the papers and so on can get that. So within 30 seconds of you taking a photo, you've, you've uploaded it and it's gone and you're on to the next one. So wow. that's the big agencies. Yes. Um, the smaller agencies, so myself um, and the other, the other probably 15 guys now there, I've got a laptop by the side of my, uh, my, uh, my, my stool and I will take the, either take the uh, card out of the camera, having um, identified the photos I want, put them onto the laptop. And while the match is still carrying on, let's say there was a goal in football. Um, I'll mark all the photos. I'll lock all the photos on the camera I want and then um, transfer those straight onto the laptop. And whilst the match is carrying on, I'm then captioning and uploading straight from my laptop um, right. over to my agency, who then pushes it onto the wire. So there's quite a bit going on then. This is a, this is a full brain activity. So I'm looking at what's going on. I'm trying to judge generally you'll only shoot stuff in your own half so beyond the halfway line you don't get much that's useful yeah so if there's just been a goal unless there's going to be another goal i'll be focusing on the laptop and getting those images out quickly because obviously you know the guardian telegraph and so on well they want the image then to be able to put their latest story up to say you know goal at you know chelsea crystal palace and, yes. and here's the image or whatever it happens to be um so I'm focusing on getting that out, but I'm also keeping an eye on the pitch because there's a lot of situations where a second goal happens very soon after the first goal. Yes. And the last thing you want to do is to miss the second goal because you're focusing on the first goal. So you're focusing on your laptop, you're focusing on the match that's going on, and you're also trying to remember who the players were um, who just who were just part of the action in the previous one whilst also looking at a different set of players in the current action wow. so i've i it's a strange feeling after a match but it it feels like i've had a brain cleanse okay because, because you I haven't have, thought about anything else for 90 minutes you cannot think about anything else the whole time you are so focused on what you're doing there isn't there isn't space in your brain for anything else at all um and i find it it's cathartic you, you know you can't you cannot be worrying about Oh, did I send that customer that invoice? Because you've missed something. Yeah. I know we're, we're talking previously, you know, thousandth of a second, you know, yes, I, I shoot at 16, 1600th of a second because that's about the speed you need to stop a football in the air. Okay. Um, and so shooting at that speed, if you are late by a fraction of a second, you've missed the action. Uh, you've but got you to be are honest. shooting like nine frames a second, no? Yeah, 12. 12, okay. Good. Uh, the new camera shoots 30, but uh, 30 yes. frames a second. Or the latest one announced 120 frames a second at low res. Um, so you just ship all of, and these are raw, so they're going to be 50 megabytes? Uh, 45, yeah. 45, okay. Okay, good. I feel like we've spoken too much about yeah. it. Not enough Sorry. for me or for you, but maybe yeah, we'll, too uh, much for this instance. <laughs> for everybody I'm, else. Yeah. I'm getting a sense of the technical nature of you, um, which is interesting. Okay, so the format of what's going to go on here, as you know, there's only five questions. First question is how you qualified to talk to us about marketing. 
Second question is, who do you work with? Not exactly who do you work with, but what's the style of businesses that you work with? How do you add value to their lives? The third question is, what is your recommendation for anyone who wants to get better at sales and marketing? Fourth question is, what should people read? Fifth question is, who can you throw under the bus to have um, one of these conversations with me? But before we do that, I want to address the email that you sent to me yesterday that said, I don't know what Warren, Warren recommended that we speak. He threw you under the bus. Um, my interest, I don't know what Warren said about you. My interest, my marketing interest is more around systems and improvement than the fluffy side of things. So I yes. think before we find out how you are qualified um, to talk to us about marketing, I'm interested to know what is the fluffy side of marketing and why aren't you interested in it? In my mind, there's there's stuff that supports people to be able to to do their jobs well and for me that's the structural side of marketing sales and marketing and you've then got a lot of um, other processes other systems um, creatives that sit on top of those people so it might be a tv advertising campaign it might be a facebook campaign it might be um, some nice graphics the the design side strangely for a photographer the the design side of marketing is absolutely not my bag um, i don't get involved in that area at all it's not something i'm qualified on and i do tend to be slightly disparaging about it um, because probably because i don't understand it very well Okay. So it, yes. Is it necessary? In some markets. Okay. Uh, because my experience is I was in sales for 10 years before I started my marketing company. And my reasoning was essentially I'd been in the sales team for 10 years uh, watching mm -hmm. the marketing people lord it up with all of the budget and none of the target whilst we in the sales team had all of the target and none of the budget. So my rationale was, if I'm going to do this, then I want to be where the budget is. Um, but up until that point, I'd never, I'd never sold anything that had been marketed. Very rarely in those 10 years. I mean, I remember in my first job, we were selling advertising in magazines. If the phone were to ring and you went on the phone, it was like a mad dash to get that phone call because that might happen once a year you know yeah, yeah that absolutely was a, that was a sale going to happen so i would have also been very disparaging of the designy creative side of marketing and i would have said your business doesn't because i would have gone out and sold it without the brand and without the messaging and without the thing and basically i would have i would have come up with some value proposition and i would have delivered that to exactly the person that i thought needed to to hear it so I would have also been disparaging at that point. But in the time since I've run my marketing company, I've come to be much more respectful of marketing and maybe the, the more creative side of marketing and, and the idea of brand, I suppose, which I think is really interesting. Um, but you're disparaging just because... Okay, so let's, so let's go. You think it's necessary in some markets. Which markets is it necessary in? I think it's very necessary in markets, uh, in consumer markets, where there's a lot of discre discretionary spend and 
many different competitors seeking to differentiate similar or identical products. Okay. So in those situations, brand presentation differentiation is vitally important. If you are the only person with a new idea and whatever that idea happens to be, then your challenge isn't to differentiate yourself through marketing. Your challenge is to create an awareness that you exist so that people can buy from you. So in a in a conventional brand world, um, social influencers, which I am very disparaging of to some degree, um, social influencers are important. Branding is absolutely vital. Um, the presentation, the TV adverts and so on. Yes, they're absolutely necessary because you're essentially taking identical products and seeking to um, explain why yours is better. Washing powder. Washing powder is washing powder is washing powder. But it's the presentation of it that allows one to succeed over another, not the technical content of that powder. Whereas a lot of the markets I work in, it tends to be the actual function, form, and capability of the products that is the key differentiator, not the fact that somebody will feel better for having bought one over another because of a marketing campaign. Okay, good. And there are, so for example, if you are selling to female markets, then we know that females are much more appreciative of brand and how nice something looks rather than, than, than males. And then I suppose there's spectrums within that where you end up selling very technical things where the brand is much less important. Um, Okay, good. All right, good. So let's go to question number one, having satisfied that. Now, I'm trying to remember exactly what Warren said to me about you. I think he said... (laughs) Nothing positive, I wouldn't imagine. (laughs) Sorry? Nothing positive. It was positive. He was trying to get me to speak to you. Um, It was positive. He said that you're expert in the delivery, like guaranteeing the delivery of messages and the conversion of those messages is what he said. Mm. Because actually Warren recommended like that I speak to 10 people and you were the only person that he actually gave me more information about, like this guy does this particular thing. Is that true? Are you busy with the the guaranteed delivery of messages? Because what I took that to mean is like the 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 more likely delivery of an email message, for example. I don't know if I've got that right. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense given 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 the way that uh, I've I've done stuff with Warren and what he's heard from me. So yes, that's that is one element. Okay, Um, that's one element of what we do. So. If you take if you take email deliverability as a as a topic, for example, then yes, that's something that we have um, a big um, a big amount of work that we do on, and I have an uh, I have strong opinions on what achieves that email deliverability. Um, however, it is only opinions because there are no hard and fast rules as to what a spam filter or a bot or whatever is going to kick out of somebody's inbox. It's it's an art as much as a science, as you'll know. Yes. But yeah, we've, we've done a lot around that in the past. Um, we've moved away from it more recently simply because 
email for me now is more of a channel to maintain relationships with customers than it is to necessarily acquire new customers. Um, the whole um, the whole spam growth and situation has uh, has stopped a lot of companies succeeding um, where previously they had succeeded at acquiring new clients by email. Okay. All right, good. I feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit because Sorry. you're talking to us about marketing. We've got no idea if you're qualified to talk to us about marketing oh or not. <laughs> so, that's, so that's question number one. How are you qualified to talk to us about marketing? I mean, it has been 35 years. So I was going to say, you kind of reminded me it was 35 years. Uh, <laughs> I spent a lot of time in sales, a lot okay. of time in sales, running sales teams, started out, literally, I started out in a graduate job. I was given the yellow pages uh, and it wasn't even a virtual yellow page. I was given the yellow pages and I worked my way through it for a particular area around Guildford and I got my first bite at M municipal mutual insurance i can still remember it in 1980 something and i i actually got through to um somebody quite senior in there and that was my first break in sales so why am i qualified um i'm not really that qualified in pure marketing i'm very qualified in understanding how people buy and therefore how to sell to them in a range of situations that I've experienced over 35 years. Um, so a lot of what we do is around the systems that support people to sell effectively. So my experience of doing the hard graft of getting on the phone and then later on of doing account management and then later on running sales teams and then building systems for sales teams and then building systems that support marketing and sales and then running a, an email marketing company, which is what um, the current company started out as in 2009. That is what qualifies me to have an opinion on the marketing. Whether I'm any good at it is another matter entirely, but I've got, I've got a lot of opinions that say I know what I'm talking about. Okay, and you've been doing it for 35 years, so I'm sure if you weren't good at it, you might have found yourself doing something else. Well, to put it in another way, people still pay me to do it and they they have done so. And some of the same customers have done so for seven or eight years. And given that I measure the results of what they're achieving and the results are going down well and are growing year on year, then, yeah, I'm, I'm generating good financial results for clients as well. So I guess that qualifies me to say, yeah, it's going OK. OK, good. All right. So should we listen to you for the next hour or not? Yeah, I think so. Okay, good. Right. So measure. So measurement. This is something when I was looking at your your LinkedIn profile that comes through very strongly. And this is what um, I think this is the opposite to the fluffy stuff, like is the yeah. actual measurement. So for me, like you can actually measure elements of brand. And for me, brand is you know brand is beyond the design brand is about you know brands actually have value and brands actually have utility in terms of being the relationship that you have with your customers maybe if you were to talk to barnaby winter then then he would say that so that is measurable so this is where it all becomes much less fluffy i think um so mm, I agree. 
So systems and improvement. So what does that mean? What what kind of sales systems? Are you there? What yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. sales systems are you implementing for people? What what do those sales systems look like? Okay, we we fell into sales systems because when we were running a lot of email marketing back 2010, 2012 time when it was really effective, what we wanted was a way of being able to log all of the um, all of the interactions over a long period of time. So it's all very well seeing the results of the last campaign. Um, but what I wanted to do was to know if we'd emailed somebody um, 20 times over the course of a year, how many of those emails had they interacted with? How many of them had they clicked on a link on? How many had they opened? How many, uh, how many had they not opened? And all that sort of stuff. And then make judgment calls about the sort of links they clicked on and hadn't clicked on so that we could then target those people far more tightly on a particular area of interest. So if they'd only clicked on emails in a particular topic area, then we go and create a channel that talks to people in that topic area. And we put all of the people who engaged on that topic into it and talk to them and get more engagement from it. So it's about using the data that's available to you. So it's very, very difficult to do that on spreadsheets. I tried, I can tell you, it doesn't work. You get, you get death by spreadsheets. So you need a system. So we started looking for systems that would integrate with our email marketing system. And bear in mind, this is before it was really easy just to plug one in. Uh, and we eventually found that Microsoft Dynamics was quite a good way of doing that. And so we started to develop our own Microsoft Dynamics um, CRM solution. So we'd take all the data into that. We would send all the emails out through an email marketing platform and pull all the data back into it. So what we then get is one contact record with all the interactions that that person has had over the course of two, three years. And also, and this is where it gets really interesting, if you then put the telesales people who follow up on those contacts um, and the account managers who deal with those people into that same CRM system, then not only do you get the marketing interaction, but you also get the sales interaction. And if you then add into it what happened at the end of it, did those customers buy, how much did they buy, what else have they gone on to buy, then you've got a way of knowing what results your email campaign generated. Um, not just in, yes, we generated 17 leads, but we generated £35,000 worth of revenue from, uh, from that campaign. So for me, the reason that sales systems are important is because it enables a feedback loop from that first moment of connection all the way through from to the, uh, to the point at which somebody buys and carries on buying. So you can actually genuinely not guess, but calculate lifetime value of customers by, you know, by lead source, by, by all of the different sorts of metrics that you would want to measure them as a marketer. And it gives you a way as a marketer of being able to make intelligent, you know, fact-based decisions rather than emotion-based decisions on new marketing campaigns. 
because if marketing campaign A has produced, you know, 3% click through, that sounds good. Marketing campaign B has produced 1% click through. Well, that's pretty crap. Ah, uh, yeah, but marketing campaign A might have just those click throughs. But when the telesales guys got on the phone and called all those people that clicked, because that's another strategy, they got zero response. But of the 1% in campaign B, they called those people and they got seven decent customers out of that. Well, you know, on the face of it, if you'd just taken the, the higher level value, the click-through rate, you'd have carried on working on the, the higher click-through rate. But by actually looking at the sales results and mapping that onto this in a system properly, then you can say, well, actually, no, that, that you know, campaign A is a complete waste of time. That's just, you know, that's just wasting the telesales guy's time. Let's, uh, let's run more of campaign B. Um, let's get a lower level of engagement, but we're actually finding the right people who will turn into customers. And that's, for me, the aim of marketing is, you know, to put people into, into one of those big sifting things. People talk about funnels. I hate the idea of funnels because it, it just feels so 1990s. But you put people into the top of a process and you progressively sort them through that process. They fall out as customers. But what I'm looking for is I then want to take those customers and then say, so what attributes have you got that the people at the top of the funnel have also got? Because what I can then do is I can then short circuit the whole process of qualification and to something called lookalikes. And I'm having a conversation with a friend at the moment who's into AI systems about how you can use your customer base to identify lookalikes in your customer base at the top level of your marketing funnel. So then instead of you then needing to go and buy another 10,000 names to check in the top of the marketing funnel, you go and buy the 200 names you really need. And each and every one of them can get a far greater, um, a far greater attention through that marketing funnel because they're your ideal customers. Um, but that only really works in a, in a market where you're, uh, you're interacting with your customers rather than rather than a, a brand advertising type thing. So more of a B2B than a B2C world, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, so this sounds like, this sounds like the kind of automated segmentation and or, or triggered message delivery of something like Infusionsoft with the sales interaction of something like HubSpot with the lookalike audiences like something like Facebook or, or YouTube. Um, mm. I mean, but more than that, it sounds like marketing rather than sales. So maybe we need to make this distinction here. Why is this a sales system? rather than a marketing system I'm, I'm interested to know that it's both it's it, both it, okay good. it's it started as a sales system so it started with taking the output from marketing let's take email marketing because it's simple yeah uh, so it took the output of a of an email marketing campaign and it said of the twenty thousand people we emailed 2,000 people opened and 200 people clicked on one of the links in the email. Now, we could be very procedural on that and say, right, 
telesales, call those 200 people and let's see what happens. And that's why it started out as a sales system because those were not telemarketers, those were telesales. And the system was set up. So the input result, the input was the 200 people to call. And the output was the results of that telesales outreach, which was sales, not sales, engagement, and so on. So that's why it was originally a sales system, but it's not. It's a sales and marketing system. And I wrote an article oh, years ago called Mind the Gap, um, talking about this, uh, this chasm between sales and marketing, where marketing tend to generate a, um, a marketing qualified lead and sales want a sales qualified lead. And there's a gap between them where, you know, marketing say this person's interested in salespeople say they don't want to buy from us. And there is a gap there. And I spent a lot of time in the early years of the business trying to cross that gap. So provide the systems that allowed marketing to move more towards a sales qualified lead and sales more towards understanding that marketing's output was a marketing qualified lead. But if we then put the system in the middle, then we could take a marketing qualified lead. We could warm them up to the point that some of them become sales qualified leads who are then ready for a sales conversation. Good. Love this. Good. Because there's something else that goes on where like sales and marketing is always pitched against each other. You know, it should be like a virtuous cycle where marketing develop the interest, sales pick up the interest, have the one-to-one -one interaction, feedback. into. There should be that loop, but it doesn't exist because sales and marketing don't talk to each other. There's something also about sales never appreciating the value of a, what you call a marketing qualified lead and yes. and marketing always thinking that sales are just lazy and stupid and not doing the work properly mm. so there is this gap i've always been interested in this this is what i was talking about before when i was saying nothing i ever did was marketed there were always marketing people but nothing they gave us was was ever of any use you know so that's why we had to go and do our own and of course then by the time you've got salespeople doing marketing they haven't got budgets to do marketing they get to do canvassing they get to knock on doors or cold call people or or whatever it is so when you make the distinction between telesales and telemarketing i know where i draw that line like so for it's, it's telesales if if those prospects have expressed a solid interest and there is a yeah. good likelihood of that being converted into a sale. In every other instance, it's telemarketing. If you're calling somebody and you've got no idea if they if they have any interest in the product or service or actually buying the product or service, that for me is telemarketing. Yeah, I, I don't think telemarketing exists as a thing anymore because it's such a, a wasteful thing to do to phone somebody up and ask if they're interested. I got telemarketed the, the other day. Did you really? I really did, yeah. And you know who it was? It was action coaching. Oh, and well, yeah. there we go. <laughs> Do you know what he said to me? He said to me, um, this was the actual question. Hello there, my name's Blah Blah from Action Coaching. And I just want to know, have you found that you're not spending enough time with your family recently during the pandemic? I'm like, I mean, it's the worst telemarketing I've ever experienced in my life. It's like that's a closed question apart from anything else. No, I haven't found that. Thank you very much. Bye. But it also like coach, really personal from action coaching. Yeah. And there's no, no, no the, coach asks open questions. 
Coaches ask open questions, yeah, but these poor guys that they get in to do their telemarketing, and it is telemarketing because I haven't expressed an interest in action coaching since I saw Brad Sugars in 2008, and I put on the form, I'm really excited to hear from you, get in touch with me, and didn't hear anything until 2022. <laughs> <laughs> well, there so, you go, you expressed an interest. So that's, that's it was, it was, you know, it was a telesales call in 2008, yeah. 2022, it's like a joke, it's ridiculous. And you find that piece of paper in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, okay, good, so we're on the same page. This gap... Yeah. Because what is the point of marketing if they're not delivering qualified leads? Whether they're like, if if the let's just say if they're not converting, then what's the point? No, I mean oh, there yeah. is a point. Obviously, they're doing lots lots of other things. They're doing the branding, they're doing the product selection, they're doing the targeting, they're doing the product development. They, you know, they're they're doing the pricing. They might be doing lots of things, but why would they bother doing promotion at all unless the outcome was actually leads that convert however they're qualified uh, to answer your question very simply because they've got the budget to do so right but that's a that's probably an answer from 15 years ago the world i think the world has shifted significantly we all know the world has shifted significantly uh when when we were doing our sales training way back when we were always told you need six or eight points of interaction with somebody before they'll even consider you. Um, I read another blog, no trust buy, as in if without trust, you won't get a purchase. Or if there isn't any trust, then goodbye. And that was based on this idea that you've got to build a relationship with somebody. You've got to have caught their attention six to eight times before they'll even consider having a sensible conversation with you. I would argue probably in today's world, because those touches, those interactions can be far more fleeting, you know, a view on Instagram, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a tweet, uh, you know, a tweet that's been, uh, that's been engaged with and so on. It's probably up to 20 or so now. So you've got to have in the first stage of the marketing process, you've got to engage your customers brains so that they are willing to have a conversation they've got to know who you are and fundamentally understand who you are before they'll trust you so marketing's job i would argue in today's world is and i don't know if this is going the right direction but i would argue is to get people to know who we are yep and get them to start trusting us that we have the the products the knowledge the competency the ethics the all of the other aspects that are that are needed in place today in order for somebody to feel comfortable before they'll even make a purchase um, google wrote a book called the zero moment of truth um, 10 years ago perhaps now and that talked about um, that talked about SEO marketing, about how you don't walk into a car dealership anymore and ask the car dealer to sell you a car. You walk in to choose the color leather you want on the seats and to and to check you've got the right spec set up for the system. You've already done all of the selection process of which brand, of um, which car model, 
of probably which engine of you know the colors you like and you're simply going into the dealer to confirm this so their marketing job has changed from getting you into the dealership to making sure you have enough knowledge to be able to choose 80 percent of the right car so that when you walk into the dealership you're already sold there's no sales job needed in the dealership in that situation um you're going to buy a car it's just a matter of what seat, what what color leather there is on the seats so the salesperson's job in that situation has shifted from selling you a car to selling you the 17,000 insurances that they've got that they can possibly add on to a new car and oh and solely finance at 10 percent so yeah. their their job has shifted as sales because marketing in that world has done what they used to do yes but that's where it's joined up if it's not joined up that person never goes into the dealership because if marketing don't do the job of creating trust well enough then nobody walks in doesn't nobody trusts them so they don't walk into the dealership and sales can't buy because sales don't call randomly they wait for and if you take, stay with the car example they wait for somebody to walk into the dealership in order to sell to them so yes. sales job there is to take to take a marketing interest and to turn it into a sale and if marketing don't do a good enough job either nobody walks into the dealership or the wrong people walk into the dealership yeah the the, the for instance that I always give is McDonald's like McDonald's never called anyone and said, look, we need you to come in and do some negotiation um, no. training or some objection handling training because everyone gets to the front of the queue. They know what they're going to buy. They know what they're going to get. They know what they're going to pay, you know, and they, and they just buy it. So I think you're right, but I do have an issue. I've got so many issues, Simon, I can't begin to tell you, but I do have an issue with this, five points of interaction, 25 points of interaction, 35, whatever it is. You know, there's always a number, but that must vary so much dependent on like the value of what you're selling or like if it's a very low ticket item, then you don't need 35 interactions. You don't need this huge amount of trust, you know. So maybe as the value of the, of the product or service goes up, you need more of these interaction points. But the other big factor in that has to be the quality of those interaction points. So if you are saying, okay, they saw an Instagram post, but maybe they didn't slow down. And so maybe the better interaction was when they liked the Instagram post. That for me is obviously very low quality. But when I was selling, for example, I worked in some boiler room environments and we, would, we were a smash and grab op uh, you know, operation. We would... Yeah. You know, it, there would be pitch, if, first interaction. They would never have heard of us. No one, our marketing were useless. <laughs> um, so they'd never heard of us. So we'd okay. call them and pitch. Um, the second interaction was essentially contract. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, did you get the contract? Have you signed it? Are you getting it back? The third interaction was payment. And then we would never speak to them again, you know. But these were high, high, I don't want to say high quality, high impact interactions. I used to work with a guy. I wonder if I can use his name. It was 20 years ago. He's probably still kicking around. His name was Moeen. Oh. So I would just say his first name. His name was Moeen. And he basically, so it's about getting people's attention. Like if you're on the phone, it's about getting um, people's attention. So the first thing he would say to people, he was from Glasgow 
and he would say, <laughs> the sky is green. The sky is green. And we'd be sitting there, and we'd hear him say this 40 times a day, the sky is green. And, of course, what that served to do is get the person's attention. It's like, how on earth did this person get me on the phone? Do you know what I mean? And it's like, so, so, so I think that's really important is you have to wrench people out of their reality to get them to pay attention to you. Like, you really have to do that. And I would say you have to do that more than ever now for two reasons, because people are so stimulated you know, all the time. There's not a second when we're not watching something or listening to something. And they are so much less available than they were previously. You know, so so now I'm in the habit, before I call somebody on WhatsApp, I will message them, like this is my friends and family, and say, mm. are you available for a chat? Like I've know, cold called thousands of people, like managing directors of household names. Like I did that for 10 years and now I don't cold call my dad <laughs> without messaging him to say you were out but for I a chat. Him there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I do the same. So I think yeah. those are my issues with that. Those ideas of there have to be this amount of, of touch points. I would say that there just needs to be really effective touch points um, is, is what I would say. But getting those is, is much less likely than it was 20 years ago when you, people's phones would ring and they would answer them. I, I think my point isn't that it's six to 20. My point is that it was, we, we've increased the number of times we need to engage with somebody yes. in order to get the cell. But coming back to the six, the six is always a good number because most salespeople try somebody three times and give up. And I think as long as the number is greater than three, it's that reminder to the salesperson that they need to try at least six times um, or they need to do a lot more effort on a prospect. And you'll know from when you were hitting the numbers, uh, you know, you you it's going beyond what other people are doing. Uh, you know, pattern interrupt. The sky is green. I love that. Yes, I absolutely love that because it. You, 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 you know as well as I do why it works because it completely interrupts somebody's pattern. It throws their brain into confusion, and at that point in confusion, you then have an opportunity to grab their attention. And if you haven't interrupted their pattern, you can't get their attention because they're still looking at their phone, they're still doing this, they're still they're still watching that YouTube video and everything else. But you've was, interrupted their pattern. He was screaming at them in this Glaswegian accent. And I've only given you about 60% of this because I'm going to give you his whole no. name because maybe he won't mind. Maybe he's still doing it somewhere. I don't know. His name was Moeen Yassin. So literally, they would answer the phone and he would say, my name is Moeen Yassin. The sky is green. And... <laughs> <laughs> it, it was <laughs> 40 times a day and he was going through and you know he was winning the champagne every week but never drinking it because he was um he was muslim you know it was insane but it, so so this is my major issue with this is that it's encouraging two things that i don't think should be encouraged so the first one is this persistence thing so like we're told all the time there's this trope um uh, colonel sanders got rejected 72 times before he's found someone to sell his chicken 
I saw Mark Zuckerberg saying, oh, Facebook wasn't the first thing I built. I built like an education thing. I built this or that. He did it while he was in university. Do you know what I mean? He didn't do anything else. He didn't persist at anything. Um, so this idea of persistence, which I think is really dangerous, and this idea coupled with this idea of low-quality interaction where too many people don't, salespeople don't actually show up when they've got the opportunity. They'll say, okay, I'll send you a proposal and then it'll be goodbye, rather than, if you can demonstrate to me that you're going to get value out of seeing this proposal, then I'm going to send it to you. Do you know what I mean? Or otherwise, I'm, do you understand what I mean? I'm, yeah, what, what you're talking about is, is quality. And yes. I'm you're you, I'm and I'm talking about quantity and I I'm in violent agreement with you that Good. you've got to have quality engagement and you've got to you've got to move the person on if you yes. can't move somebody on in a call then you're wasting your time I mean if they say I'm in the middle of a meeting call me back in a week that's fine you've no. you've moved things on it's it is what it is you know that if you can either persist and really piss them off and that's life. You know, you might as well not call them back ever, or you can try them again in a week. And if they, if they move you back again, then well, they probably weren't interested. Yes. You see, I would so, say it's but, not fine. If they say I'm in a meeting, call me back in a week, then you see, see the moving on that I want to do is qualification and I want to qualify yeah. them in or out. You know, are they worthy of more of my attention or not? Correct. You know, so that's what I'm looking for. So if someone were to say to me, I'm, I'm Johnny Bigby's because I haven't done this for 20 years. <laughs> but, but what I would say to somebody who's, who's doing this as a job, if somebody says to you, I'm on a meeting, call me back in a week, I would say, absolutely not. That's not fine. It's like, I will call you back in a week if there is a good reason for me to call you back. What is the reason that you want me to call you back? And basically not in a week, I will call you at a scheduled time because I don't want to call you next week for you to be in another meeting. Do you know what I mean? So there's opportunity in that to qualify. And I think, you know, that is the job of a salesperson essentially is to quali be qualifying all the time. And exactly like you say, moving things on, like I'm going yeah. to call you back at 10 o'clock next Tuesday because you've told me that there's value in that happening, you know, or, or ideally you will have expressed more of an interest in actually having that conversation. So that's what we used to do when we were selling advertising is like, a hundred percent. I'm not here to waste your time. Please don't waste my time. If you're not interested in this, you let me know right now because I've got another hundred people that I could be speaking to right now. And that's. Yeah, I agree. And, and with the set and coming back to the systems, you know, we're feeding another 20, another 50, another hundred potential interests into the system. You know, maybe it's a thousand, whatever. But there's there's more people always coming into the system from the market, how qualified they are, we can debate. But if sales aren't taking some out and discarding them and disqualifying them, then that system is just going to grow and grow and become unstable. And you can't have that situation. You've yes. got to have leads coming in and going out. So sales job is not to qualify. It's to qualify and disqualify. Yeah. So well, they've got I, to qualify that... out. Which, okay. is, which is what you're saying, I know, but, but I'm my violently point is, agreeing with you also. I'm saying yeah. qualifying in or out. That's fine. Yeah. Um, I've got this presentation called The Most Powerful Close in the World Ever, which is the word no. Just start telling mm -hmm. people, no, I'm not going to invest any more time in you having this thing if you're, if you're not doing what you need to do. Um, that's good. Okay, so good. So does this address the issue 
of you see marketing are now going to be upset because they're saying well these guys are just discarding the work that we've done so so marketing are going to be upset and sales are going to be upset because they're saying well we we can't work with these you see this is this is the gap okay so let, let, let me put this into context for you this is an actual real world situation so we ran an email marketing campaign for one of our clients back in 2009 god yes that many times that many years ago right. and this was this was when we could had, were just able to track click-through rates and open rates so we pulled together really nice campaign three email series and we then took those campaigns sent them out um highly reputable supplier and we got people to click through onto the website so we then took those click throughs and we said the only people who are going to click through on this are people who have an interest and there were no bots remember to to click the links so the people themselves had to have clicked the links so and we were getting one two percent click through so we took three four hundred names into this client on a spreadsheet and said there you go those people in amongst those people, there's a bunch of people there who are wanting to buy from you. The reason we think that the reason we think they're wanting to buy from you is because they've expressed interest by clicking on this link that said, if you want to know more about blah, 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 follow this link. Here's how you can earn more money. Here's how you can do this. Follow this link. Those sorts of you know, highly qualified links, which you're not just going to click on because there might be a furry cat video jumping around. Um, there's a there's a business reason for doing so, and this was B two B, so it had to be a business engagement. So we took those marketing qualified leads to our client. And the client broke them up, gave them to his five salespeople, and said, "You guys call that lot. Go and get them. Go and turn them into customers." And I phoned the uh, the sales director back a week later. Said, how did it go? He says, they're crap. Absolute crap. Didn't sell anything to any of them. And that was the challenge of a marketing qualified lead being passed straight to sales. Because they'd expressed a bit of interest. They said, I might be interested. And then they've got a bloody salesperson on the phone saying, I hear you want to buy from us, which was essentially what they were saying. And they were saying, no, 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 absolutely no interest in buying. I. I, I just wanted to understand what you did so that when I'm ready to buy, um, I can I can buy from you. So that was our that was our first attempt at um, getting marketing qualified say marketing qualified leads um, into a salesperson's hand and having it fail. So we went back to the drawing board at this stage and said, okay, so we need a and hence where mind the gap came in. Um, we need a process of taking marketing qualified leads and making them ready for a sales team. So we then went and recruited our own telemarketing team. So our service transmuted from email marketing to we're going to do your email marketing. We're going to then phone up in your name and qualify these leads. And the only people who are going to come through to you are people who want to have a conversation with a salesperson. And that worked really well for us for the next six years. Okay, so because there's the more. Yes. We cross them. We cross the gap, um, because the the people we're doing the marketing for don't have somebody internally to take those marketing qualified leads and warm them up and qualify them. They've got salespeople, and they want 
you know, they want raw meat to throw at the salespeople. They want people they can close. And 90% of those people are saying, oh, hang on a sec, hang on, hang on, hang on. I don't want to be closed now. I was just interested because six months time, I know that I've got this project coming along that might be useful for you. And the salesman say, well, that's no good to me. I've got my target to this month. I'm not, I'm not going to make a note to call you back in six months. I haven't got a system to call you back in six months. Yes. Uh, I just want people to sell to now. And so while, so what we were able to do is we were able to take that, I'm interested in six months and say, okay, how interested are you in six months? Oh yeah, this project's going to happen. It's going to look like this. So we'll, we'll note all that down in our fabulous CRM system that we built. And we'll then call them back in four months time and say, when we spoke four months ago, yes, still interested. And then in a month's time, yes, still interested. And then you put that lead through and then we get paid the big bucks because all we're doing is we're passing well-qualified leads through to the customer. And we might only pass 10 through, but every single one of them was a proper lead that they could actually go and buy or go yes. and sell to and they would buy from. And that's, that's the example of fixing this gap, this difference between sales and marketing or this marketing to sales gap. So you actually had to put people in in the gap to to and that makes perfect sense to me because you can't there's no such thing as a marketing qualified lead you know because like if you take like the most traditional um the most traditional definition of marketing it's one to many okay and sales yeah. then is the one to one and you can't qualify somebody without talking to them you know you can't it, it, you can't. I mean, so we're talking B to B. You can't, yeah. you know, without saying like, so for me, a lead. So I've done a video on this. What constitutes a lead? It yeah. depends on where you are in your business. So a lead goes from somebody liking your Instagram post. They've expressed some interest in, in what it is that you're doing all the way through to somebody dragging themselves 60 miles across a desert to find you selling lemonade at 10 cents a cup. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. a qualified lead. They're going to buy That's that well qualified. Yeah. as long as they've got the 10 cents. Um, so it's all happening on a scale. Now, if your marketing are doing really well and you have lots of leads, then you can start to be fussier about actually what constitutes a good lead. If your marketing are doing poorly, then so it's that journey. It's the journey from I'm interested to know more to actually this is really going to help me out in my life and I want to buy this thing. And somebody has to take them on that journey. So it sounds to me eminently sensible. It's not until somebody has a conversation with them because that's not a bad lead. If they're saying that I want to know about this because I want to know where to buy it when I'm ready to buy it. That's a perfectly yeah. good lead. And if a salesperson can't take a notepad out of their pocket and write down call these people in six months from now where are we um august then you know poor power to them really they're but they're bad sales people well, that's why um, they need a sales system but that's another story yes 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 so yeah so for me no such thing like there's a lead it's not qualified if it comes from marketing unless they've had telemarketing phone them up have a conversation, say, what is your interest? How is your interest? When is your interest? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's how you qualify. But for me, that's the job of salespeople. Like salespeople should be able to do that work. And, yeah. and the reason they weren't is because they were a client and they got to not do the work and, and say, no, this is shit that they're giving us. Do you know what I mean? 
So they have the opportunity to to do that. So, but so okay. So, let, but let's throw that back then, because we had that conversation about you know I don't even phone my dad without uh, without WhatsApping him first. Yeah. So let's translate that into the business world today. You know, we're, people are still having to work from home. They're still socially distancing. Um, office numbers don't work. You need somebody's mobile to be able to get hold of them. Blah, 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 blah. It's near impossible to run a cost-effective telemarketing outfit to take those marketing leads and to qualify them over the phone into sales-qualified leads without having prior engagement with the person so you know having their whatsapp having their mobile and having that that level of detail about that person and then then being being willing to answer the phone and talk to you at all so yeah. that that process that you've described is absolutely right that you need to talk to somebody to qualify them as a as a sales lead in order to put them to the sales funnel in order for the salespeople to engage with them to to sell to them for them to buy from the sales team but yes. you can't have that telephone conversation with them to qualify them because you can't get hold of them anymore okay i'm not saying it's easy <laughs> uh, no i'm and i'm not I'm saying not, it's I'm, I'm not and saying i'm not it's saying it's impossible but as a but, if, but that's if that's want, why but if you want to put that together if you want to put that together as a proposal for a client to do that work it's not cost effective for the client to pay you to do that okay well let's park that idea for a second like the way we fill this gap is either we put people in the middle which is which yep. was your solution that would be 100% effective so they're not they know that they're going on the phone to grow this interest that has been expressed i want to learn more and they want to grow that or qualify it out you know or yeah. disqualify it um so that's one way the other way to close this gap is by getting a bit more from marketing and a bit more from sales to close that gap so what marketing need to do in 2022 is they need somebody to get a click on a link that says i want to i'm interested enough to speak to somebody about I want to know more about this. Please um, get someone to call me and then take them to a form that gives them their mobile telephone number because, yes. you know, as well as I do, by the time somebody is giving you their mobile telephone telephone number, they're genuinely interested. So that very yeah. act will start to qualify people out. And that then starts to look like a lead that is workable. So then I would give that to the salesperson and, and let the salesperson know specifically this person's interested in more information and they've given us their mobile telephone number. That's where you're starting from. Because what marketing yeah. is doing and what salespeople are doing is taking this these people for, on a journey from the wilderness to they are now a customer. And it's just about how it's a relay race. You know, when they pass the baton, what is the quality of that baton and, and do they know how to receive it, you know? Yeah. And we do, I, I don't know if this is a horrible analogy. We used to talk about dead cat bounce. Right. And, uh, so it's not very Mark's, appropriate, is it, with what's going on with Kurt Zuma? Uh, it probably isn't, actually. No. No, no. let's leave what, that one then. <laughs> <laughs> but the, <laughs> but that, that idea that something that's lifeless could actually recover, let, you could tell us the story without using those three words. Yeah, we'll, 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 leave, we'll leave it for another day. I'll find another analogy. Okay, good. 
So let's um, talk about this. Um, it's not profitable or not financially viable to do that extra piece of work. This is another bugbear of mine. Are we allowed to talk about bugbears? I think we are. Um, uh, I think that's where okay. Nobody factors in the cost of sale. Or maybe no. they do, and I'm just out of touch. But I've always had to explain to my customers, you're in the business of buying customers, essentially. And you need mm. to work out what that cost of sale is. And you need to factor that into your pricing. So we know that the top 500 companies in the world spend around 12% on marketing and they spend around 20% on sales. So literally a third of your turnover is your cost of sale. So mm -hmm. that for me takes that little bit of resistance out of it. If people are saying it's not financially viable, then it's not financially viable for you to sell this thing. You're not in business anymore. Is that harsh? Agreed. Yes. No, no, and I, I agree with you entirely. But if you by taking large companies and taking percentages, what that does is that distorts the situation for the smaller business. And we tend to work with smaller to medium sized businesses, where they don't necessarily have the scale to be able to invest in a, a team of 10 salespeople, and a team of marketing and so on so they're they are they don't because they don't have the scale they're paying over the odds for um for each interaction because you know they can't generate a volume to to get the volume discount they need in order to to make the whole thing stack up so their percentages would look very different because and it might be 40 percent is sales and 10 percent is marketing so half the cost of the product is cost of sales for example Yes. because they don't have the scale of operation um, that um, that would enable them to get cost efficiencies. So I, I think the answer, I think part of the answer is, as you said, is for marketing to get smarter about what they're doing and get aligned. And this is maybe this is the answer is to get aligned with the salespeople's objectives as well as their own um, objectives so if they measure themselves on actually collecting mobile phone numbers on a form rather than on click-throughs on a page for example then that would change substantially the motivation the desires the budget allocations of the marketing department because if their whole marketing effort and I'm not, let's take let's take a silly example. Let's say you shift the marketing effort away from Instagram likes, um, Facebook likes, and uh, uh, and retweets. And if you shifted it all to obtaining somebody's mobile number on this form, then the whole of the marketing effort would change dramatically. It would become aligned to um, creating an environment where somebody felt comfortable enough to be able to give their mobile number on a form not where they felt comfortable liking a post on Instagram. And I know I'm using silly examples, but um, for me, it's about aligning objectives at a strategic level rather than doing something at a tactical level to, to solve a problem and to put a finger in a dam. Yes. So if, you, if you've got marketing aligned to sales objectives and you've then got sales aligned to marketing objectives, so if sales know that the whole point of marketing is to get that mobile number 
for that person to present to them, then if they know that and they're bought into that and they know that if they've got that detail, then they can convert those people. The second that form lands in their automated system, they'll be on it. I know because I've created those systems for clients. And, you know, the salespeople, the first thing they do in the morning, I build a dashboard for them. Top left-hand corner are the new leads to call this morning. And the job of their salesperson is to call through that list. And then there's all the other stuff. There's the follow-up, the opportunities, blah, 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 blah. But if you put it top left and you put the visibility of who's still got some to call on the manager's dashboard, then and they start to get good business from that, then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Sales know that they're great. Anything that appears top left is great. Marketing know that their job is to put everything top left. As soon as top left is um, appears, sales call it, turn it into a customer, feedback to marketing that they've got another customer. Marketing, instead of having some ethereal um, objective, can actually start measuring their impact in actual pound notes in terms of sales converted. So marketing can then say, look how clever we are. We're generating uh, 37 mobile numbers a day. Sales are turning 10 of those a day into business. Each of those sales is worth £12,000. We're generating £120,000 worth of business a day from our marketing budget. Aren't we clever? Yes. That, that whole closed loop suddenly becomes possible when you align the objectives of marketing with the desires of sales, with the needs of the company. Uh, but that's, yes. that, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen for it doesn't happen and but it's more it's even simpler than that because it's about aligning the marketing objectives with the sales objectives which is with the business's objectives which is just to be profitable you know and and i think the trouble a large part of the trouble of marketing and sales is that there's too much opportunity not to show up like just just to just to miss the point you know, so like you're saying, it's silly. It's not silly. This is what marketing teams are doing. This is what Manchester United Football Club are doing. Is they're failing on the football pitch, but they're saying, oh, but we've got all these new followers on Instagram and Twitter and all of this stuff. And it's like, you're missing the point. You're not showing up. You're missing the point on purpose by counting something that's really easy to do and not doing the actual thing that you should be doing, which is winning football matches. So I'm really pleased with that analogy that I just made up right now. <laughs> Yeah, I, this, I, I would actually argue what their what their objective is. I don't think their objective is to win football matches. I think their objective is to make money through shirt sales and sponsorship. Yeah, that's their but, business objective. But football is the means of doing it. It doesn't matter if they win or lose. As long as they carry on selling shirts, it doesn't matter. It matters if they win or lose. A hundred percent. They will be more popular. They will sell more shirts. They will make more money if they win more football matches. Like there is yeah in in principle yeah yeah no i mean look where manchester city have come from nowhere to be one of the most popular football clubs in the world because they are consistently winning football matches and and titles and and all of this stuff so anyway let's not get bogged down in that let's let's not go there there is too much opportunity in sales and marketing to not show up or to miss the point so marketing are too focused on like the awareness stuff, like that can happen. Yeah. That's fine. That should be happening. You should be aware of that. But your objective is the profitability, you know, and the sales yeah. might be 
like their opportunity is to say, oh, well, I touched this guy 20 times, so I'm on my way to 25 times, so maybe it will happen. But in none of those interactions did you get their attention or did you actually qualify them to establish actually actually, if this is likely to end up being a sale and a profitable sale or not. Because the, the danger there is you're paying that person to have those 25, inter those 25 really poor interactions, you know. So that's the thing. The thing about the 30% cost of sale is I've never managed to convince anyone to spend on spend more than 5%, you know, and, and, you know, I've, I've achieved success for those people and that's fine. So it doesn't have to be 30%. But I think that idea that your sales and marketing, that you are in the business of buying customers has to be established, you know, because people don't even understand that. I think. You see, it's, it's interesting because if you, if you take, a one-man business that one-man business makes very very rational decisions about sales and marketing when it grows to a two three four-man business and you've got you know different people starting to do different functions they still make very rational decisions because everybody is aligned on the desire to make money for the business so maybe the part-time marketing person involved in the business they're very aligned to the sales objectives because it's highly visible the salesperson who might be full-time by this stage, but is still probably doing a bunch of delivery, packing the warehouse, whatever. Um, they're very, very aligned to making money for the business as well. And so they are, they're being really effective on their calls. When that four-person business goes to a 50-person business, are they still as aligned? Is it because um, the people in the business when they no longer have a share in the business, um, a no longer feel that their own personal um, self-worth is aligned to the success of the business, that they're just there for a job. Maybe it's at that point that this unalignment, malalignment, misalignment, misalignment, that's the word, yes. thank you that misalignment comes in because at some point in a company's growth they become misaligned they stop being entrepreneurial they stop being totally focused on achieving what they want to achieve and become a a company that has other objectives and different strategies and some some carry on some carry on beautifully and others get lost and lose alignment. And I don't know, I mean, we can look at the difference, but I think some of the ones I've seen who manage, manage to stay aligned as they grow have got very good systems. And I would say that being a systems person, but I've also seen a lot who are not aligned who have poor systems. So. I'm not sure if that's a if that's a causation or a correlation. It's uh, it's one or the other. Yeah. But yeah. if 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 you if you play with the play with it for a moment and say it's possibly a causation, then maybe part of the answer here is as a company grows, is to invest not in more sales and more marketing, but invest in really solid systems that allow sales and marketing to be successful between them. And so you've then got a very, very strong backbone for the business. So the business can grow and recruit more people 
and slot those people into positions on the system with the systems being able to cope and serve the people and hold the people to account. I mean, if a salesperson calls 20 times and um, doesn't update the system each time to say, I've moved them from this stage to this stage, there needs to be consequences to that salesperson. That manager needs to be able to see that that salesperson is not moving people along and therefore that they are going to be retrained. Um, they're going to have a word with them. They, they're going to do what there's an interaction there to change that salesperson's behavior so that they do start moving people along the uh, along the funnel on each con each conversation, because if they don't, then they're wasting their time. They're wasting the company's time. And, and, and it's it's, again, misalignment. And they're wasting the company's reputation because they are just harassing people now. Um, yeah. So I'm remembering this this one situation that I was in. We had a lead for two days. So basically, once you got, we had like a whole. This was like 20 years ago. So we had a whiteboard, and you would put your list your prospects on the whiteboard, and you could put somebody on the whiteboard if you had got hold of the decision maker, and yes. then you had two days. And then literally management would come and take them off the board. If you hadn't closed them in two days and then they are fair game again. And Absolutely. that, I mean, it was insane. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, we were making it work. It wasn't sustainable sales or anything like that, but it was working. But this is what I mean also, and I think you're right. This, the answer has to be systems, not even to enable people, but to not allow people off the hook. You know, I think there's a lack of clarity in actually what, marketing should be doing and what sales should be doing and i think even sales managers they're like they're measuring the number of calls that people make in a day do you know what i mean but they're not measuring the quality of those calls what there was something oh, else that you said oh well let, let me throw in on that one because this might uh, this, this, this might give it to you so if that salesperson is calling and not generating results and you can track it and you can manage it you can deal with it um, but if you're if you're not aware that that is going on, or if it's not working, then you know it's a problem. I'm sorry. I'm I, I remember what you were going to say. Uh, I remember what I was going to say on when you said it. The when your analogy of the whiteboard. Yes. Two days. The system that I built for one of our clients recently, when a lead comes in they have an obligation to qualify it in or out within 48 hours. Good. And there's some vet and there's, there's seven different criteria, seven different fields they have to fill out in those 48 hours and they're free text and they're, they're up for review and they are randomly checked very carefully and they're held to account if it's not accurate. So they have to put the data in there within after those two days, if they haven't, completed all seven of those boxes and qualified the person it gets reallocated to one of the other salespeople. it disappears off their radar they can't see it they can't touch it they can't come back to it it's gone perfect good and it works because everybody does it because they know that the best leads come in top left as we said yeah. if they don't qualify them in two days top left they're going to go to somebody else and somebody else will get that deal perfect simple system so you've got the measurement, you, you've got the incentive for sales to qualify it. You've got the stick to make sure that sales qualify it properly because these seven fields over here, if they're not filled out properly, and the only way to know if they're filled out properly is to have their manager review them 
And so we present a really simple dashboard with those seven questions, you know, across a view. And the, set, the manager can just sit there and look at them and say, that's bollocks. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that one. Uh, yes. and, they, and they work through it. And so we've got the accountability. We've got the, so the salespeople aren't going to just put junk into the seven there. We've got the process that says if there isn't anything in the seven um, within 48 hours, it goes to the next person, which covers somebody off sick, covers somebody on COVID. And so on. so leads never get wasted in the business because somebody else always picks them up. That's, that's, a, com that, that, that's a combination of responsibility, process and systems coming together nicely. And motivation, yes. Yeah. But more importantly, what that is, is a demonstration of why do we even come to work every day? Like, why do yeah. I come to work if I'm a marketing person? It's to do this thing. Why do I come if I'm a salesperson? It's this thing. So it's everybody understanding what their role is. And it's that correct intention going, being managed by the system. So this is my issue. I've got an issue with AI. I told you I've got lots of issues. Is sure. that people aren't building <clears throat> systems like this. What they're doing is they're building systems that reflect the reality. And the reality is marketing are hiding. So now they're going to build a, and generating this. So then they're going to build a system that generates what marketing are generating when they're hiding. Mm. Salespeople are lazy and hiding. And this is their output. So they're going to build a system that does that. So they're going to build systems that are poorly aligned, to use your word, because actually what they're doing is reflecting the reality. And the reality in 95% of instances isn't right, you know. Mm. So to come back to your point before, businesses that invest, understand the value and invest in marketing are successful is the difference between successful businesses and unsuccessful businesses mm. if you're doing your sales and marketing you've got money to 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 pay for things to happen to get fixed if they're broken if sales and marketing aren't happening you've got no money you're not a business so that's something i wanted to say i feel like we've gone for an hour and 21 minutes and five seconds i'm being precise because i know you're a systems guy <laughs> I feel like you might have answered this, the third, the second question, which is, you know, kind of who do you work with and how do you add value to their lives? Do you want to talk more about that? I would actually, because it, it does carry on with the conversation. Um, so our clients are B2B, business to business companies, and they're, they're in that middle ground, you know, the 20 to two, 300 area. And the reason that we tend to get involved is because they're on their second or third iteration of trying to get systems to uh, to work. So the first iteration might have been you mentioned them earlier an Infusionsoft or a um, you know a HubSpot something like that. Uh, but but they tend to be point solutions, right? So and they've got their data and they've got their accounts data over here. They've got their you know, their, their stock control, their fulfillment system over here, you've got, and you've got different systems. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the problem that that generates is you've got islands of data, and uh, talking in the background, you've got islands of data that don't talk to each other. And the point at which we tend to get involved is where they want 
to streamline those islands. Somebody in the business has recognized that, as you said, sales is doing its own thing. Marketing is doing its own thing. Um, those aren't aligned brilliantly with what the operations part of the business is doing, which means they're not getting the repeat business they should have done. Every business that we work with, their whole their whole profitability, their success depends upon repeat business, not selling the first thing. So that needs a process. That needs a process to remember what we've sold them, who we've sold to, when we sold them, what we said we would do next, how we're going to do it next, and all of that whole sales and marketing interaction. And also what they engaged with. What do they like? What are they interested in? You know, the what I refer to as the fluffy side of marketing. How can we catch their interest in, in selling them other stuff? So... What's my area of interest? My area of interest is joining up all of those disparate parts of the business into one system that just works for the business, that allows marketing to track the success of their leads in numeric terms, that allows marketing to know what sales really want from their leads, that allows sales to feedback to marketing what was a good lead, what was a bad lead. Not in a, posit not in a negative way, but in a positive way. Hey, that was a really cracking one. These were poor, those were totally useless. You might find it useful to know that when we get on the phone to these people, we get this. When we get on the phone people to these people, they say this. All of these people over here, they seem to be rugby fans, not football fans. Thought you might find that. that and if you can use the systems to allow departments to share knowledge and insight that will help each other in a really simple way, then that takes away a lot of the barriers because people at, on the ground floor, people who are actually doing the doing, have some ownership then of the systems because you've developed the systems with the people. The people feel ownership. They want to get the data right in the systems and they therefore use them properly rather than making the calls and then at the end of the day trying to update the system, which I'm sure we can all relate to. Yes. Okay. The reason I was laughing when we were talking before about, you know, we were kind of talk the way we were talking about is painting people into corners where they only have the opportunity to do it the way that the business wants it. It sounds a little bit dictatorial or a little bit fascistic. And I was thinking, I don't know if it's a misquote of Mousy Tongue in a in a song. There's a song where the lyric is Mousy Tongue said this place will be a paradise when every supervisor has a submachine gun. <laughs> but I think in this instance, um, this enables people to be successful, you know, yes. like, and so many sales and marketing people aren't successful, you know. So I think in this instance, like that boiler room environment that I was working in, I mean, it was fascistic. It was it was properly. This is your job. Like the, the supervisor would be there deleting your pro everyone could see deleting your prospects off the board. Like you don't get, everyone knows who they are now. So immediately everyone's on the phone chasing those same people. You know, yeah. it was a dictatorship, but we were, we were blowing it away. You know, we were making a lot of money yeah, and it was really good fun to be successful. So I think that, um, that for me takes care of that issue that, you know, you manage people into a corner, as long as you're managing them into the corner where it's going to work. You know, that's that's what it needs to be. And my issue with AI is that it's going to that we're going to program in all of the injustices of the world 
And what we're going to do is just move the authority away and people, the government's going to be like, well, it's the computers that did it now. You know, what can we do? Um, so that's mm. my concern about that. But not, let's not get into that. No, let's your, not go there. <laughs> so your systems, are these, are these custom built? Are they, uh, are they built particularly for each business? Is it like a component thing? Is like how much, how much time and energy and maybe money goes into developing these systems? Um, what we found is that most most of the standard platforms, and I, I mentioned earlier Microsoft and, and Dynamics, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Microsoft as a business, but they have got a very solid infrastructure on which to, to build stuff. And what I'm not a, a fan of is custom systems. I don't think custom systems are helpful because what they do is they they either reflect where a company is at the moment to some degree of accuracy or they reflect the desires of management to be somewhere different than where the company is and in either case you end up with a system that doesn't work so my preference is to take a very standard system take a very standard platform and to configure it using the front end not with code but to configure it so that it's got the absolute minimum number of fields and buttons and decoration on it that is needed for a salesperson and a marketeer and a sales manager to do their job. So a contact form, it doesn't have a fax number on it. Why would it have a fax number on it? <laughs> but every contact form you look at has got a fax number. Why would it have seven phone numbers? You want yes. their mobile number. You might want an office number. You want yep. one email address. You certainly yeah. want their LinkedIn profile and you want to be able to click on it and open up and you want a button next to the email address where it just pops up an email and it sends it and it logs it in the system so you can see you've sent it. That's all basic common sense. But you build the, the, the least number of fields possible and then you automate everything else. So if you need somebody to generate an opportunity, you don't close this down and then go to the opportunity and put all the details in you hit one button that says create opportunity and that then pops up an opportunity on the screen and it's pre-populated with everything they need to and if you've got a past history you could even have a button that says pre-populate based on past history and then it just pulls up whatever they ordered last and um, those sorts of things are really easy to do but nobody does them because people spend far too much time talking to the managers and directors in a business who fundamentally don't understand how the salespeople work and what their requirements are. But if you actually sit down with the salespeople and the marketeers and design the system with them, I know, and they're saying, ah, oh, no, no, if you put those fields over there on the right, that works better because then I've got the contact details on the left, I've got all the interaction I've had in the middle, and I've got their preferences on the right, and that just works so much better. So we lay it out like that. Then, funnily enough, the salesperson actually starts using the system yes. and using the system properly. And that's that, that, that's that's kind of what we do. So what does it cost? Oh, depends on the customer. Right. Um, five, 10, 15,000 to build it. And um, whatever it costs to run it, it's, it, they're not expensive, these things. You know, for a small business, we can build and deploy this for five grand. Uh, and that's theirs, and that's all the consultancy about what they want done. It's not, it's not costly because we're not writing code; we're configuring the user interface. 
And then okay. they've got no legacy code to carry with them and the next upgrade and the next upgrade just happens. And the, the other issue with custom-built solutions is you build this dependency where they're dependent on you forever now because you built this system for them. Nobody else knows how it works. It's a stake in the sand, isn't it? It's where we are now. Yes. It's not saying, I want to be over there. It's saying, this is where we are. We're building a system to do this. Yes. And yes, you're right. You know, they're totally rely upon, reliant upon you forever, which I'd far prefer customers to want to deal with us than to feel the need to deal with us. Okay, so the only other issue then, this might be a little bit challenging. There is a book called Something Optimism. I can't remember what it's called, but in the it's Something Optimism. It's like not planned optimism. It's like... You work on your optimism. Anyway, there's a study in the middle of this thing, and you do this thing. And I read this book in 2006, and I did this study, and I tallied up my scores. And it, it was a scientific measure of optimism. It was very clear to point that out in the three chapters before the test. This is scientific, scientific, scientific. And um, so I am scientifically, or I was in 2006, scientifically marvelously optimistic was my result <laughs> so Fabulous. and and i think i probably was i think i probably was the, the reason i'm saying this to you is because there was a time in my life when i was stupidly optimistic about the power of systems and there was a time in my life when i stopped being so optimistic about the power of systems it feels hmm. to me like the systems never quite deliver the as exciting a result as you are hoping for. And it seems to me also, like famously with databases, it's shit in, shit out. So you are 100% de dependent on people, like you say, actually using the systems. So yeah. how do you, because I'm sure I'm not the, per the only person who's lost their optimism for the, for the huge benefit of systems. I, I think that most people are so jaded by, you know, the effectiveness or the ineffectiveness of the systems they've got that they just assume all systems are the same and they just don't work. Yes. Um, I was busy trying, we were talking about gas earlier. I was busy trying to book the annual service for my, uh, for my boiler the other day. And I got the computer says, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I've got to refer you to a supervisor sort of thing they've got the override on the system to allow you to do i think it was a saturday appointment i was anyway and that sort of excuse that the system doesn't allow you know computer says no etc is is prevalent and is almost expected and but from a business perspective it doesn't have to be that way it's how do you stop shit going into a system well you make it worth the person who is entering the data's while to not put shit into the system. Yes. It's that simple. If that person has a vested interest in getting the data right, and it's easy, if it's easier for them to put it right than wrong, let me give you a silly example. If you know a company's uh, company number in the UK, you can type that company number in and it will pre-populate their address their directors uh, and, and a whole load of stuff that is easy to do with a very simple open api into company's house so you can put in one number you find the company number and all the address stuff is in there the various con you can select the contact job done 
you've got your contacts. You, all you've had to do is find that one number. You can then go in, you can update, say, that's not quite right, but you can change it. But if you build a simple system like that for salespeople, they love it because they know they've just got to go and get the company number and it saves them having to type in the whole address because they'll never, nobody ever puts an address into a contact database. Do you yeah. ever need an address? Well, it depends if you ever want to, want to go and visit them or if you ever want to send them anything. Um, in the post. In the post. Well, we work with the financial services business. And they do, yeah. Well, they do because they they have to send a lot of stuff by post. And they, you know, they need to get people's addresses in. Yeah. And so having a simple postcode lookup, you know, you've seen it on every form you go into. But yeah. CRM systems don't have that. Why? Stupid. So you can you can you can prevent a lot of the errors by building really simple systems and actually putting comments next to boxes or tool tips that say in this box you need to put a pound value but don't put the pound symbol because it will reject it yes and another one says you know this is you know interest areas this is a multi-select box you can check, tick as many as you like um if you do that helps marketing what this person's interested in you know have a little pop-up why not put a bit of commentary into this and explain why if i i think uh I remember seeing a, um, a clip about persuasion and excuses. And it was a bunch of people stood in a bank queue. And then somebody came in at the back end and they, they walked to the front and just walked to the front and said, uh, I need to go to the front. And they pushed in and, and went through and everybody in the queue was all pissed off. Same person walks in and says, says to each person, I'm, I'm sorry, um, I know I've parked, I've just parked outside, I need to go to the front. And they were saying, oh yeah, sure, 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 come in. They gave them an excuse to do it. The excuse was out of bollocks, I've parked outside. Well, everybody's parked outside. Yes. But by giving the person an excuse, it allowed them to do it. And I think part of that is, is what we're saying here. If you give people an excuse, if you allow people to have an excuse to, to do the right thing, um, to put the right data into a system, then yeah, you're, you, you, you get a far greater chance of actually getting the right data. And once you've got the right data in a system, then you can actually use it and rely upon it. Yeah. Uh, and that's your problem. You see that persuasion thing, it's a need because, isn't it? It's like need because is a trigger statement. Like if you say to somebody, I need because, then you start getting away with stuff or you start getting people to do yeah. stuff for you. I'm a weirdo when it comes to databases because I open up a page on a database and I see it as my most important mission in life to complete every field in on that screen. You know, it's like when, when I was working databases, this was my mission, you know, and, and no one ever knew, no one ever cared. But, you know, that was my mission. And when I had my own databases in my business, you know, that's what I tried to get people to do. Okay, so I'm more encouraged that these systems might work. But I teach digital marketing is what I do now when I have to make money. And I tell people, you know, this is data driven and it's like driving a car and, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. But it's not because <laughs> it's all system based and the systems aren't anywhere near as good. And I do let people know I'm going to tell you this is perfect and it's like driving a car, but it's not. But that's the danger, I think, with systems. I think you've renewed my optimism about systems. Maybe 
It's possible. It is possible. I mean, in yeah. the same way as self-driving cars are now possible. Yeah. But if you use the data in any company's um, database to drive a car, you didn't, you'd be in a car wreck in five seconds flat. <laughs> 100%. And I think that the, I think the major thing that I'm taking away from this is like you've got to know, you've got to get the intent right. You've got to get the alignment right, which is yeah. like when you're building the marketing part of the system, it's not about getting likes or comments or whatever it is on your on your social media posts. You know, it's about generating actually workable leads. And when you're managing the producing the sales part it's not about how many times did they contact these people it's about how effective are these contacts and at the end of the day mm. it's about the profitability of the business cool i'm excited about systems again now how did you manage wow. to do that? convert love it convert well, i've got no need for one but maybe i will get one um yeah my mission is slightly <laughs> <laughs> my mission is Don't to... have one for the sake of it for god's sake you know what i really like things like hubspot like when i've had yeah. the opportunity to use that with clients it's really you know th i mean it's huge cumbersome there's too much junk they charge stupid amounts of money for the things you don't need and no money for the things that you really do need and it's like but then there'll be one on either side there'll be one thing that they charge for that you've got anyway i really do quite like that okay good is there anything else you want to say about who you work with and how you add value to their lives? No, it's just that I think the only thing I would say about it is, oh, in fact, one thing, yeah. I was trying to describe what we do to somebody the other day. And the way I said it is my goal is customer for life. And we try and run the business, we endeavor, we work very hard to run the business with our objective being that every single one of our customers stays a customer for the life of their business or until it's inappropriate for them to carry on working with us. And that means that if I have to take a call on a Saturday morning, if I have to work through the night, if I have to do something, if I have to do some unpaid work for somebody, then I do it not begrudgingly, but knowing that what I'm doing is I'm serving the company goal of a customer for life. And not everything I do for a customer is chargeable, but everything I do for a customer serves that need to, for us, to, for them to want to carry on buying from us for the rest of their, their company life. That is my objective. Good. How you do it? That's a solid objective. That should be the objective because that comes back to, you know, that's just entirely sensible marketing. It comes or yeah. which is so rare, but this idea of lifetime customer value that, that, you know, you're buying customers, the longer you keep customers, the better it is for your business. That's good. Question number three is a bit of a nonsense now because question number three is what is your recommendation for people who want to get better with their sales and marketing systems? And the answer clearly is they just need to call you. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's call me systems. Well, it 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 costs them a lot less than they think to have a conversation and to start a process. Good. Okay. Good. And and they can't do this on their own. They're going to need somebody to help them with this. They could do it on their own. They've probably done it on their own in the past. That's why they're yes, in the shit. Yes. <laughs> good. Sorry. 
Okay, good. So question number four, um, recommended reading. What do you recommend people read? Uh, I recommend people read widely. Okay. No. Who wrote widely? No, no. <laughs> Thank you. I, I don't think there's a, a particular book recommendation that has made a, a really big difference to me. I think what has helped me most over my career is absorbing peripheral texts. So I mentioned Google's Zero Moment of Truth. That's, yep. that's brilliant. And you can look at all the, uh, all the entrepreneur books because there's always something really good in those to get out of uh, sales and marketing. Um, Warren's approach on, on attitude is great but a lot of the uh the nlp books on influence the basics of uh, of nlp i like books that give you basic knowledge rather than shortcuts to the top good so they are the the core fundamentals books fundamentals on coaching um there was a book called sales persuasion many many years ago um Another one called Selling the Wheel. I don't, have, you ever, have you ever come across Selling the Wheel? No. It breaks down sales into, it's probably not available still, but it breaks down sales into really simple processes. Um, and it tells a story about somebody inventing a round wheel and how to sell it and so on. Um, Crossing the Chasm is a great one um, because there's a, a lot of fundamental theory in that about um, how to adjust your sales and marketing as you go through every stage of the uh, of your growth cycle and you can map that onto systems as well so your systems can evolve but no i don't i i don't think any particular book has had a transformative uh impact on me but every i mean i read a lot of books on coding and systems as well um and actually funnily enough some really good ones on photography okay um, there's, there's a great one that I would strongly recommend to you um, within the frame. Utterly brilliant because, and this is a good example. What that does is it breaks down a photo and says, this is why I took this photo. This is how I took this photo. This is what I was trying to achieve. And this is the actual outcome I got. And that's kind of what I'm looking for from systems books. You know, the, what is it you're trying to achieve? How did you get there? Um, and you know, what was the, what was the outcome? Did it, did it work? And so on, what can I learn from it? Yes. Those, those are the sorts of things that, uh, that, that helped me the most. Cool. Brilliant. So actually there's four or five there. I will list those in the description below for people who are interested in those. Okay. So the last question is who are you going to throw under the bus who might enjoy, or at least endure to have a conversation like this with me? Mm, that's actually really difficult because the people I would have pointed you towards would be Barnaby Wintner, yeah, um, who you've already spoken to. Obviously, Warren, because he threw me under the bus. Yeah. Um, do you know, I don't know. I'm going to have to think longer on that, and I apologize for not being able to throw it in here. But I think...
I think there's one of my clients, there's a guy there called Mark Woodruff. And I think he might be quite interesting because he has done a lot of um, a lot of these sorts of things in the past. Okay. Uh, he's done a lot of marketing stuff in the past, but he's now on the client side on systems. And that would be more of an extension on the systems implementation stuff that we're doing. And it would give you an, an insight into um, the sales and marketing process in a really interesting business. Okay. That sounds uh, that exciting. So Mark, I think Mark would be a really good call. Actually, I'll, uh, I'm talking to I'm talking to him uh, later on today, so I'll uh, I'll tell him I've thrown him under this particular bus. Fantastic! And if you could sort out some sort of introduction the way that Warren did with us, that would be no really problem. really cool. No, I'll do that. That he's he's, I think he'd enjoy that as well. Cool. And you're gonna think long and hard about somebody else, another one. Yeah, there's. Uh, uh, to be honest, somebody asked me that sort of question, my mind goes blank. I don't know why. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it's one of those. Uh, it's one of those strange things. There are a couple of other people that I'm sure I'll, I'll uh, will occur to me who would be good, good candidates for this, and yes. I'll I'll introduce you afterwards because there's there's two or, there's two or three there. Yeah, and the the, the cool thing about this part of the process is it goes to places I couldn't possibly have conceived of. Do you know what I mean? I would never yeah. have, it, I would never, when I was thinking about this and who I wanted to talk to, it's like, oh, I've got to get myself a system, a marketing systems guy. Do you know what I mean? That would, so this yeah. conversation yeah. would never have happened if it weren't for Warren. And you clearly now, because you're in that sphere, are going to maybe take me to other people in that sphere, which is going to be really interesting and useful. I have thoroughly mm. enjoyed this conversation. I have as well, Martin. Thank you. Thank you very much. What we'll do is we'll do the pretend goodbye now um, for anyone who's watching and then I'll stop recording and we'll say goodbye like like normal human beings. So thank you so much, man. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Yeah, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolute pleasure. I've, uh, I, I talk by thinking, I think by talking. So talking to somebody like yourself who's a really good sounding board and and asks tough questions, helps me get stuff clear in my mind as well. So thank you.